matter of fact, if you go to the tomb and roll back their stone, they're in there. But you go to the grave of Jesus, he's gone. He's out of there. He's alive. He has risen. And what we're going to do today is show you some things and ask you a question. How much more evidence do you need? How much more evidence do you need to know when you look at history, when you look at the world, when you look at events? How much more evidence do you need? See, Jesus, being raised from the dead, had a confrontation with sin. See, sin is any time you miss the mark of God. See, there is something that happened at the cross and uh, with the tomb. And there's something that happened for certain with time and eternity. It's what Jesus did at the tomb and at the cross. See, he switched the whole of the human race back to a right relationship with God. He made redemption the basis of human life. That is, he made a way for everybody in this room, everybody in this room, to have communion with God. Jesus getting out of that grave made it possible for you to be intimate with him. That's why we sing. That's why you have Christians all over the world going, he's alive. He's risen. They're saying that. That's why people pile in the church house every week saying he's alive. He's risen. Look here. You don't become a Christian because you go to church. You become a Christian because of what Jesus did. We're going to talk to you about that in just a little bit. But I want you to understand something that when you read these particular scriptures and you start from verse 1 all the way down to verse 10, there are three characters there that represent you and me. You and me. How about this woman called Mary Magdalene? Whom when they caught her in this private and made her life public by trying to embarrass her and threw her in front of Jesus. And Jesus said, any one of you who uh, are without sin, cast the first stone. See, we see this tomb being opened through her eyes. Are we not people who have shame in our life at times? Are we not people who at times have private things that we don't want anybody to know? Are we not people who, when those things become public, we become embarrassed? And yet, because there is no one in the tomb, that sin is forgiven. Yes, it is. And here we look into the eyes of this guy by the name of Peter who looked in. And he said, basically, if anybody's got a problem, I do. Because if this dude is alive, I'm in trouble. I'm the one that denied him three times. And the worst thing that can happen to me is for this boy to come see me again. And the first thing he's going to say, Peter, your dog, you ran out on me. He didn't say that. You know what he said? He said, peace be with you. You know why? Because Peter was a downer. He died too. Peter was a guy who was known as a one-legged man because the other foot was always in his mouth. He was always saying stuff that didn't make sense. And yet, because Jesus comes out of that tomb, that's forgiven. And then we see it through the eyes of this disciple that they call the other disciple. His name is John. He's the one sitting there at the supper, leaning against Jesus' bread. And they call him the one whom Jesus loved. See, we got John in us. Because we know God. 
know God loves us not if, not maybe, not because, but he loves us, period. So inside of us, we have Mary. Inside of us, we have Peter. Inside of us, we have John. And because that tomb has opened, we're forgiven. And from that tomb, something shouts to us. My question to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping by. How much more evidence do you need? How much more proof do you need that Jesus walked? How much more proof do you need that all of history points to him? Every calendar, every date, every time, every event that happens in mankind points to Jesus. How much more evidence do you need? See, these roadmaps. What do we mean by that? What about when you look at a map, it, it, it guides you somewhere. Some of you are so sophisticated today, all you do is hit a button uh, on your little phone and it tells you where to turn, where to stop, where to go. But let me tell you about some other road maps. There's a road map called the Bible. Yeah. And see, there are manuscripts that back this work up. Out of all the classic literature that you can read in history, there are none like the Bible. Why? Because when great men wrote about other men who have lived, sometimes it took them 400 years before they could write one thing about them. I want to say this to you. There are 10,000 manuscripts in the Vatican today to back up the word of God. And those manuscripts were written within the first 50 years of Jesus' life, of Jesus' death. Accuracy. And not only are we talking about manuscripts to back up this Bible, because if you want to read about it, that's what you read about it. You don't go to the internet to learn about Jesus. You don't go to some little discussion to learn about Jesus. You go to the Bible while it's written. So not only do you have these manuscripts, ladies and gentlemen, but you also have this thing called archaeology. Every turn of the spade, when they dug the ground, do you know that most of our history is in the ground? Man, when they would go dig, I want y'all to know 15, 20 years ago, there's a book where you can look at, it's called the Archaeology Archives, or where these archaeology guys went out to college, they went out and they started digging. Now, there were some people who refuted what was called the Red Sea event with Moses and these people coming across the sea dry. All of a sudden, the water is parted. The land is dry. And all of a sudden, some several thousand men of Pharaoh's army is drowned. People said, oh, that's just a story. That's just something somebody made up. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what happened? About 15, 20 years ago, they wrote this. But there's a portion in the Red Sea where the bottom of the sea has a mountain on it. People scuba dived and went down there and they started digging. And it was just 15, 20 years ago. You know what they found? Chariots <laughs> in the mine. They found bones of men and horses. So this Bible is just not some book that somebody flipped in the air and it just came together. It wasn't like that. It's a real story. Now, let me ask you a question. How much more evidence do you need? Not only did you have a Bible that is solid, but you have a biology that is best of my history. I mean, what about prophecies? Prophecies are not, we're not talking about psychics who go, we're not talking about those people. We're not talking about those people who give you something like a, you know, your history. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a guy like Isaiah who lived a few hundred years, maybe a thousand years before Jesus didn't even know it, and 
Undeniable facts that 
Now, I told you earlier about the world religions. You can name all of them. Just name them all. Whether you're dealing with Harry Krishna, whether you're dealing with Muhammad, whether you're dealing with Brenham Smith, uh, Joseph Smith, Brenham Young, all these dudes. These guys did. Jesus alive. That tomb is empty. So not only do you have facts of his life, but you have facts of his death, man. They crucified him. They beat the guy 39 times, man. And they hit him so many times, they had to turn him over on the other side. And they had reduced his body to raw hamburger. And then he said, go ahead, drive the nails in my hand. Laugh at me while you stand. Go ahead, say it ain't me. But one day you're going to see. You know why? Because I'll rise again. Let me tell you something, man. Nobody killed Jesus. Jesus gave up his life. So you have a feat of facts, you have an empty tomb. Now I want to tell you something else that you've got. You've got appearances. The Bible said, look man, he in Corinthians, the 15th chapter, it said that he showed himself to over 500 people. Now watch this. How many people you know came back from the dead, man, and had lunch with you? Said, let's do lunch. Let's have a dinner. Let's do potluck. So Christian likes potluck. He said, let's eat. And he's sitting there. And he's eating. He's eating fish. He's hanging out. Now this dude's supposed to be a ghost. And he's eating food. Now one guy asked me when I was out on the plaza about four or five years ago, maybe longer than that. He said, man, well, hey, man, you know, Jesus is a ghost. And man, he eat. Man, because he was a ghost, man, did he cook like anybody else? I go, what? <laughs> and what I said to him, that in a perfect world, man,
transformed lives. You see people who didn't know Christ and they come to Christ and their life is totally different. I'm not talking about people who are faking. I'm not talking about people who, who will just want to hang out and, and kind of be a part of Christianity. I'm talking about somebody who left the risen Lord and their life has been totally transformed. They are not even the same person. Now, some of you probably would know it, but I was raised in a family with 10 people. I was the youngest of 10, 9, 7 boys and 3 girls. That means I got every, all the leftovers. I, I, I ran out with some people. I did some things that was not good, man. You know what? There are people who say back in Houston, Texas, because of the previous life that I lived, if God can touch Johnny Square, he can touch anybody. And I had no idea I'd be here some 50 years later preaching to people. None. And when you encounter him, Change lives. I mean, I, I told some people the other day, and I'm getting ready to get back to the scripture because I'm going to close it out here in just a minute. Somebody asked me about what the world is looking like today. See, when we talk about transformation, as a young man a long time ago, he said, Johnny, you put me in a dungeon with the Bible, and I'll tell you what the world is doing. Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb 
and we do not know where they have laid him. They thought the grave robbers had come. They, they thought somebody had broken down this thing. But I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. It took ten soldiers to put that stone in place. And then they were so serious about this guy not being raised from the dead that they sealed the tomb with a Roman seal. And then they went and paid these uh, soldiers to say that somebody stole the body because the Pharisees didn't want the resurrection to happen. Well, praise God. God didn't let some Pharisees decide what he was going to do. An angel came back and rolled that thing away from him. And Peter and him thought somebody had stolen it. Now let me say this to you. Look at this next verse. It says in verse 3, Peter therefore went forth and the other disciples and they were going to the tomb. Now, I want to say something to you on this. Do you think those brothers were just soul struck to the tomb? Do you think they were just hanging out and just going, oh, we're going to stroll over down there and see if that brother down there, man? Y'all need to understand this. They saw this guy turn water to wine. They saw this man walk on water. They saw him speak to the weather and said, stop, and it was like glass. They saw this guy stop a funeral procession and give a man his life back. They saw him take a mute person to spoke. They saw him took a guy who could not hear and hear. They saw all of that. They saw him stand before the Sanhedrin, and all of a sudden he dies, and they're scared to death, thinking that swords and torches and soldiers are coming to the door, and it's nobody but Mary, and they said his body is gone. Do you think they just kind of stroll down to the tomb? No. They booked down there. Man, they were on a dead sprint. And you can just imagine for a moment, don't be too cynical <coughs> this morning. Okay? Man, these boys were running, and I think Peter took off. And all of a sudden, Peter took off, and then comes John right behind him. John gets past Peter. And Peter, because he's so old, he's trying to get past John. He gets long winded. He slows down. And John outruns Peter to the tomb. And they get to the tomb. John said, Peter, you look at Peter said, no, man, you look at John said, man, you look at Because they got to go figure it out. You mean to tell me that what they said about this dude is real? But he's looking. And they see something. Here we go, because I got, I got a little bit more evidence to share with you before we land this ship here today. Are y'all with me this morning at all? But you look too serious for the brother. <laughs> And he says the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings laying there, and he did not go in. Now all you got to do is look at the history channel or just go to your little phone and do whatever you want on social media. And everybody's looking at this shroud of touring. This is the burial cross of Jesus. And all that the imprint of who he is on this cross. And for years, men and women have come from all around the globe to, to examine this shit. Y'all look at it. You know what they're trying to do? Some of them trying to say it ain't real. Man, they're trying to reproduce it on camera. They're trying to do everything they can to it. But the whole imprint of God himself in the church comes through. And then they see it. I'm getting ready to close this. I want to ask you again, how much more evidence do you need? They're still studying the trial of birth. And they're trying to figure out how he died. Because see, if the grave robber took his body, they 
Saul was a minute after the land. Now here we go. Get ready to read you a little extra. It says in verse 7, and the face cloth, the face cloth which had been on his head was laid with the linen wrapper and was rolled up in a place by itself. Now you tell me what a brick, you tell me what a cross and a face cloth has in common. It's evident. Now let me show you what I did. I just had to do some research. I couldn't come here and preach to you and not do research. Well, I went down to mortuary and I began to talk to these people that take the dead bodies, man, and they do stuff with it. And I began to ask them about history. Because history says when people would die, they would mummify the body. What they would do is wrap it all the way up to the head where you couldn't see anything. And the mummification of bodies were, were all in ancient days. But the more and more you get to recent history, people wanted to see the deceased before they would put it under. And so therefore, now you have caskets to where when somebody lays there, you see half of them. You can see the face. Because in those days when they mummified them, you couldn't. So I went and talked to the Montreal guy, and I talked a little bit about a face cloth. I said, why would they put a face cloth on a body that day? Because there's times before the people would die, I mean, before people were buried, they put a little face cloth on them because once they put them in the tomb, they couldn't see them anymore, obviously. So I said, there's got to be some more information about this face cloth. Now, all of you have face cloth. You get up in the morning, you wash your face, you throw it away. Hopefully, you wash it before you use it again. But everybody uses face cloth. But I had to do some more search. Guess where I went? I went to local restaurants in town. And I went to the local restaurant because I know that people who serve in a restaurant have what they have on their side is a washcloth. And every time they would clean what you would call a table or something, they would use their washcloth. And they would have their washcloth with them all the time. But there was something about what happened that was etiquette at the table. Because when you sit down to a table in a restaurant, you have a napkin. And that napkin is rolled up. And you unroll that napkin, you take out the silverware, and you eat. And I found out today that people have lost the etiquette of what restaurant etiquette is like. What happens with a servant or what happens with a customer. And there's a language that goes on between the people who eat and the servant who watches and come to attend to the table of where they eat. Getting ready to bring this home. They didn't tell me much because the etiquette has been lost. Here's what I found out. I had to go back and read old Hebrew history. Now you listen to me real careful because I'm going to ask you this question, man. How much more evidence do you need? The servant who would tend a master would set the table just like a restaurant would set the table for you today. And when that that servant would set the table. Everything was in order. And here's what he or she would do. They would go behind the curtain. You stay with me on this. And they would watch the master eat. And when that master would eat, he would do one or two things. Now, if he took the napkin and he threw it on the table, it meant that he was finished. And that servant would come out and begin to wash things. Now, hold on now. If the master was not finished, 
he would take the napkin on, he'd roll it up, and he would lay it on the table because he was just going to relieve himself and take a break because that would say to that servant when that master folded up that napkin that I am coming back. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. So we're going to go back to the tomb. That linen is laying there, and Jesus takes the face ball, and guess what he does? He rolls it up, and he puts it over to the side, because not only does one piece of cloth called the shroud say that I have risen, the other piece says I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. Do your homework. Do your homework. How much more evidence do you need? We not only have a cross, but it's got a hole in the cross, man. And they beat it. Every sin in the world jumped up his body. His own father could not look at him anymore. That's why he said, Eli, Eli. Father, why have you forsaken me? Because at that particular time, every sin in the world that you'll ever commit, past, present, and future, hopped on his body. And the father couldn't look at it. And then he took him over the cross. And he buried him. He got up, man, and told River Mars to get the hell out of here. Got up. Stone rolled. No, I'm got it.
not allowed the reason for that love to sink in. You're not allowed. Because he says this in verse 10. If you read that in Christ, So the disciples went away again. tell you something about God. God loves you, but he hates your sin. God wants you to be perfect just like him. But a loving God loves you, but he's got to punish the sin in you. Now, we have a deliver. God loves you. You can't deliver yourself. He's got to punish sin in your life. So here comes Jesus. Jesus does something for you that nobody else can do. So Jesus takes your record book of sin, and he takes mine. And this is you, and this is your record book of sin. And what you say, you know what, I'm just going to be a better person, so I go another direction, and I'm still there. <laughs> I'm going to do a lease on life, still there.
can do it. Nobody else could. talking about temporal faith, where you trust God just for a moment. Man, what we're talking about is saving faith. When you get out of your seat and you say, God, I will no longer be the captain of my soul. I'm going to get over here and I'm going to sit in your seat. And faith becomes the key. And all you have to do is say yes to the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. And it's done. And then God takes this pen that's got blood in it and he writes your name that mean?
I sent some signs along the way. I gave you some maps along the way. I gave you a feat. I gave you a sign. I even sent some more bald-headed dude to talk to you one Sunday. I just want you to know that. So this is not scaring you into heaven. Man, these are facts. The evidence of a tomb, a stone, a cross. And Jesus Christ is not some dead man. He's alive. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me real quick. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their eyes, to bow their heads, and just bow your ears and close your eyes. Now there may be some of you in here today who, after sharing this message, need to make a weak commitment to Jesus Christ. You already know him. You personally met him. He's given you an invitation. And you said yes to him. It's time for you. It's time for you to just say, man, look, I'm going to give you all of me. I'm going to ask you right now, because I'm going to pray for you right now. You've been thinking of weaker than this Christ. You've already done it. I'm going to ask you real quick, just raise your hand. Just put it back down. I'm going to pray for you right now. You, you, you're recommitting your life to Christ today. But man, I, I, look, I, I just got to do that.
fold it up that naturally says something. Yeah, don't fold it up just to see what the servants do. They don't remember that stuff. An old people, yeah, we're going to sing this song. Then we're going to close. I think we got a word this morning. Somebody said, uh, it's about services and time. People give them the word and they would like to have a share. Anybody comes up here and share a word, you just got to pray about it. You got to be.